있습니다. Now that this Eid has passed and we're getting kind of largely through the summer, that means that we've got into the time of the year where we don't usually have as many interruptions in schedule. So inshallah, we'll be here on Sundays. Um, we won't have these breaks anymore inshallah, as long as everyone's healthy and stuff like that. But inshallah, we'll continue. Um, alhamdulillah, this... Um, we returned on Wednesday from what I can, I personally believe and was the best trip that we've been on in our lives, alhamdulillah. Um, better than even Umrah, better than Hajj. So we pray that inshallah um, all of us will have a chance to go to this beautiful land. We went to Medellin in Colombia and we spent about 10 days there. Um, some of you, some of the old Medjus people probably know that there's one of the, couple of the core families that were started off with us in the very beginning before we even had, before the Medjus even existed as a legal body. There was a couple brothers and uh, their mom who were very close with us and the mother, Auntie Carmen, she's from Medellin. And, and Hassan and Yusuf, obviously, are her sons. And so uh, they, would, they grew up here in Los Angeles, but they would go to Medellin in the summers pretty much every year. And so they grew up there, and they speak Spanish and everything else. And uh, they moved back there a couple years ago. And um, they've been, you know, trying to do their thing. So alhamdulillah, we, we had the opportunity to go visit them and spend about 10 days there. And it was a really, really remarkable trip, mashallah. So many things that you really can't explain. Um, we just pray that Allah gives them tawfiq and Allah helps them. And helps them to do what they're trying to do. And establish what they're trying to establish. And inshallah, if they're able to do that, then all of us will be able to go. And people will be able to go and visit and see that community and spend time there and meet the people there. Um, you know, really, uh, really beautiful people, a very beautiful place, mashallah. Uh, yeah, everything else can't really be said, not because it's secret, but because it just wouldn't, you wouldn't get it. Like if you weren't, if you weren't there and you didn't go through it, you wouldn't get it. But alhamdulillah. It was um, it's really amazing, alhamdulillah. And many of our, like many of the core like volunteers of their project are people who actually used to come to the Majlis also. Like Majd Musa and his family and Majd Yusuf and his family. And then uh, uh, one of our Majlis people now, Majid, who, Majid and Najwa. Many of you probably know Majid and Najwa. Uh, Majid is actually from Medellin. He was born and raised there, and then he moved here. So he came. He he went. He, he joined us for the trip, and Sheikh Fuad and his family joined us for the trip. And Alhamdulillah, it was really uh, it was really remarkable. Alhamdulillah, we we had Juma there, and we got to meet some of the community. We got to see uh, the land that they intend to build, like a masjid on and a school and things like that. So. Inshallah, Allah give them tawfiq. The etiquette of the bearers of the Qur'an. We left off on the chapter on the etiquette of the bearers of the Qur'an. قال المصنف رحمه الله تعالى ونفن الله يأهو بعلومه في الدارين أمين We're going to try to move through some content today. Uh, I don't want to spend more than a couple more sessions on this book. So 
Inshallah, we're going to try to move today. I believe we covered last time this idea of reciting as a means of livelihood. We talked about it. Um, suffice it to say that the scholars differed on whether or not one should be paid can can be paid for reciting and teaching the Quran. Um, but the scholars differed. So, what is the like the grand takeaway on this? The grand takeaway is. If we want to have people who are specialized in teaching the Qur'an and learning the Qur'an and knowing the Qur'an and we want generation upon generation of people to be able to do that, then it seems common sense that people are going to have to get paid for it. It's just not going to happen otherwise, most likely. Uh, at the same time, <coughs> this, as many matters of religious teaching, should not become... Games. They should not become ploys. They should not become gimmicks. They should not become subject to the whims and fancies of whatever marketing techniques are most common at any particular time. And people should just teach. And uh, usually that means that the community will have to figure out somehow some sort of way that people can do that and still live a dignified life. And inshallah we can try to figure that out together. So reciting as a means of livelihood, that's the short of it. If you were to say, like, what is the most taqwa position on this? Is you don't take any money for teaching the Qur'an or reciting the Qur'an. But that's the default. If you could get away with it, alhamdulillah, that's great. But are we going to have people who can really recite and teach the Qur'an then? No. Unless we believe that it's not that difficult of a thing. Which, to be quite honest, I think in many parts of our community, uh, what we really believe deep down inside is that teaching religion and knowing the religion is actually a really easy thing that anyone can do and people who teach and teach and study the religion don't really deserve to be compensated in any sort of way that allows them to put their time into that deep down inside i think large portions of our community actually believe this um to be honest i don't really blame them it's probably they probably haven't really seen the greatest things from religious teachers and they probably are very ignorant of the religion in the first place so, you know, I don't blame them for that. But hopefully we can do better, inshallah. Uh, it's true in a sense that reciting the Qur'an is probably easier than it is to be a religious scholar. Just to put that out there. Like, memorizing the Qur'an probably is going to take you a year or two. Mastering its recitation might take you also, you know, a couple years depending on how good you are, what kind of teachers you find, stuff like that. If you're going to memorize all of the various qiraat and stuff, it might take you like a good 8-10 years. But it's still only 8-10 years. And I think like in the, in the modern context, to really be a scholar in the religion, it's going to take you absolute minimum 10 years. Uh, and that's if like all the systems were in place and all of the resources were good and so on and so forth, which really isn't the case. So, you know... Uh, but we want, in the end, you know, out of our love for the religion, we want people who study the religion and, and act upon it to be treated decently. Allah give us tawfiq. Next is continually complete, completing the Qur'an. Basically the point here is that the person who has memorized the Qur'an or who is seeking to memorize the Qur'an should regularly be completing it. Should try to complete it as much as they possibly can. Uh, as I've said before, part of the good benefit of teaching from books is that um, part of the good thing about teaching from books is that I'm not making a claim to it so I'm teaching you what Imam and Nawawi said this is a well-known text I want to live up to it just as much as anyone else would want to live up to it you know but the the principle still remains the principle is that they say that it's it's good for a person should try to finish the Quran at least every 30 days they would say this is like the minimum to finish the Qur'an every 30 days. Many of the Salaf, many of the righteous people, they used to finish it every seven days. They would finish it every five days, every three days. Three days is kind of like the max as in terms of how fast a person should be doing it outside of Ramadan. Uh, inside of Ramadan is a little bit different. Sometimes many, many of the ulama and salihin and stuff, they would finish the Qur'an every day in Ramadan. Some of them finish twice in a day in Ramadan. 
it sounds like unbelievable to us because it's just so distant to us, right? <laughs> I hear 30 days and I'm like, well, 30 days is going to take some work, you know? Uh, but this was common for them, actually. Um, and I've mentioned before, like, locally we have someone like Sheikh, I think he's still local, Sheikh Muhib, Hafidahullah. Sheikh Muhib is a Hafid on the 10 Qiraat. He, he, he reviews five juz a day. It takes him about an hour and 15 minutes. So, you know, it's doable. <laughs> hour and 15 minutes, five juz, times six. You know, I finish the whole Quran in like five hours. At night you finish in five hours, during the day you finish in five hours, live a very simple life. You could do it, theoretically. Then perhaps there's other issues involved here which we don't have to really get into so much, but some of these people, they had time didn't function the same for them. Believe it, don't believe it. It's like mutawatir in our, in our history books. The people, some people, their time didn't function the same way as everyone else's time functioned. Point here is that we should try to read the Quran, we should try to finish the Quran. We should push ourselves or we shouldn't push ourselves too hard. That we don't do it. Basic takeaway. Read the Quran, try to finish it as often as you can. And don't make it but don't turn it into a burden. Okay, don't turn it into a burden. I can guarantee you these people are reading the Quran in three days, in five days, in seven days. It wasn't a burden for them. They enjoy every single letter. So you know, don't make it a burden. Don't make it a hardship and try to read as much as we can, inshallah. Uh, it's good when we finish the reading of the Quran to invite people. Some of the Sahaba, they used to do that. When they would finish their reciting of the entire Quran, they would invite their family members, their relatives, to be present when they finish and they make the dua. It's especially good to recite at night. Because there's special merit, of course, to the last third of the night, as we know from the hadith of the Prophet, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, that Allah comes to the lowest heaven. Uh, understand that in a way that is befitting for Allah subhanahu wa taala, and uh, He answers the du'as and so on and so forth. So the last third is good, and night is good also in general because the night is filled with fewer distractions. It's filled with fewer distractions. Um, I feel that some of these things we're losing touch with because of technology. If we can try to do it, we should try to do it. Um, try to have some sort of policy for yourself. Like, after X o'clock, we're not going to have phones out. We're not going to watch television. We're not going to... Just do what people used to do. You know? Like, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing to do what people used to do. People used to do what? They just sit there. That's it. You know, when we were driving to the airport uh, from from Medellin, we were driving through these like. The brother was telling me that even middle class people, in in the past, not now, property and everything has changed. But in the past, even middle class people would have like a small little piece of property that they go to on the weekends. So like we had a taxi driver. He said the taxi driver, for example, his family has a piece of land they go to on the weekends. He's a taxi driver, but like. They go there, they sit there, they have a little piece of, piece of grass, a little piece of land, they maybe grow some things, they have maybe some goats and stuff, some chickens, and you just spend the weekend, right? And uh, it reminded me of Masar actually, it reminded me a lot of Egypt, because it's very common in Egypt too. Um, so we're driving to the airport, and we drive by this one house, and there's an older man with like a hat, kind of, you can tell he's worked a lot in the sun and stuff, and he's just sitting there. Yeah, nobody's with him, he's just sitting there in the front of his house Watching people drive by And I thought to myself, like, how beautiful is that? Like, this is how much we've lost Like, we've lost so much That's such a beautiful thing So 8 o'clock comes, 9 o'clock comes just Turn all this stuff off Just sit there It's okay, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, hour Have some tea If someone's with you, talk to them If nobody's with you, just stare at the wall <laughs> It's okay, like, it's, it's actually okay to do that and it'll be good for you. It'll be good for other people too. Inshallah. The first night that we arrived, I had a funny experience. I don't know if it's universal or not. They told me it's kind of indicative. So I was like, let's go somewhere, you know? So we go to this mall or something and there's a coffee shop. So 
They're like, we have to get some coffee. So we go into the coffee shop, and there's not really very many people in the coffee shop. Maybe like a couple people. They already have their food, they already have their coffee. And there's like four or five people working there, you know? So we come in and we order the coffee. Like two drinks and two croissants or something, you know? Very simple order. And we're sitting there, and we're sitting there, and we're sitting there, and like a good 15 minutes passes. There's no food, no drinks. I'm like, man, what is going on, you know? 20 minutes, and then like the food, the drinks come, everything. And I was like, is this normal? He's like, yeah, it's actually pretty normal. And at first I was a little bit agitated because, you know, we're in Southern California and like everything has to happen really quickly and there needs to be like, why is it taking so long and efficiency and productivity and like, you know, all of these kind of things. And then after I kind of like got over that for a second because I don't have anywhere to go. Like, <laughs> we're not doing anything. So it's like, so this is what it's like. He's like, yeah, it's not atypical. And I just kind of stopped and I was like, that's really nice. Like, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah that they can, that that can be normal for them, you know, that they can live a life like that where 15 minutes to get a cup of coffee is okay. And like anyone who comes to sit and get a cup of coffee, it's assumed that they're coming to sit and get a cup of coffee and they're going to sit here for an hour and talk to each other and enjoy each other's company. And like, that's really nice, actually. Mashallah, the, the, the people live like that. So just sit there. And the point is the reading of the Quran at night. I don't think we can understand it unless we do that other thing. That's the whole point of everything that I'm saying. So if we don't get out of the technology, if we don't stop, just turn our brains off, stop worrying about things, stop thinking about things, stop thinking about the next thing that needs to get done and the next thing that needs to get done and the next thing that needs to get done and the endless busyness that we have, we're not going to understand this emphasis on reading Quran at nighttime. But if we can stop long enough to really feel what nighttime is supposed to feel like, then maybe we can understand what it means to recite the Quran in night. The other thing is that uh, we should try to retain whatever it is that we've memorized from the Quran. There's a very scary hadith in this. That the Prophet said, The rewards of my nation were shown to me, even the litter a man removes from the mosque. And the sins of my nation were shown to me. I did not see a sin greater than a chapter or a verse of the Qur'an given to a person who then forgot it. This is very scary, of course. I've seen an interpretation on this that means that to forget it means that you actually can't even read it anymore. Not just that you've forgotten its memorization. Like if you were to be shown it, you wouldn't be able to read it. It's a very generous interpretation. I kind of like it. But, uh, you know, may Allah forgive us. The idea is we should try to keep it. May Allah forgive us. I, mean, I, I don't want to say anything more about that. The etiquette of recitation. The etiquette of recitation. Here's where we're going to move kind of quickly. So, there's certain things that uh, have already been mentioned. Like that they should be sincere. These are obligations. person should be sincere when they recite. person should, you know... Uh, Observe certain things like maybe, you know, but these are more etiquettes. They're not required, but they're good things to do. So we're going to try to go through these kind of quickly. Number one etiquette of reciting the Quran is to use the miswak. Basically to clean one's mouth. You could use the miswak. Uh, you could use something else. Use a toothbrush. If you don't have anything, use your finger. Brush your teeth with your finger. Um, but just something to kind of clean the mouth a little bit before reciting. Number two is to have wudu, or to be in a state of purity, if you're able to be so. Be in a state of purity and recite. Is it required? No, it's not required. Um, like if you don't have wudu, you can recite the Qur'an. But it's better to have wudu. If you're going to, uh, if this etiquette of not having wudu is going to make it so that you don't recite Qur'an at all, then just recite the Qur'an. It's going to be okay. Now, don't. It's an important point. Like, if if you want to do something good, but you're missing one of the etiquettes of it or something, and you're missing that etiquette of it is going to make it so that you don't do it. It's probably better to just do it. Now, don't get so caught up. Like, there's going to be people do this all the time with du'a, right? Um. And th and then they they start saying funny things. 
Like someone will go visit a grave. You go visit the grave, you say salam to the people in the graves, right? You make dua for them. People will be like, well, why are you making dua to the people in the grave? Well, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean making it? Well, you're facing the grave. Well, do you have to face the qibla when you make dua? Is it, an, uh, tell me, is it obligatory? Is it, is it recommended? Do you have to face the qibla when you make dua? No, right? When the imam finishes salat and they turn around and they make dua, are they facing the qibla? They're not facing the qibla, right? Their, their back actually is to the qibla. Like, don't get too, like, oh, I have to do this, and I have to do this, and I have to do this, and then they stop doing anything at all. But it's good to have wudu if you're going to recite the Qur'an. If you're not able to make wudu, if you don't have access to water, so on and so forth, uh, you can make tayammum, recite the Qur'an. The place of recitation, it would be nice if the place that you recite is a place of cleanliness, it's a place of uh, nobility. Um, but again, you can recite anywhere. Uh, there are certain places that are probably not really polite to recite in, because maybe good things don't happen there. Or, uh, I guess probably it's not the most polite thing to recite in the shower. <laughs> it's not really good to mention the name of Allah in the bathroom in general. Um, if you're in like I don't know Maybe like a dump yard Like a landfill It's probably not the best place to recite Quran You could but it's not the best place right? The point is just to We want to keep the respect for the Quran In our heart So sometimes that means that we sit properly We have wudu, we face the qibla we, so, But it's not that it has to be that way You might be in a place like that But you're reciting Quran for a particular reason Right? Like maybe you're in a place where a lot of corruption is happening But you're reciting a verse That has to do with protection Or a verse that has to do with guiding people or whatever You recite it in that place, it's okay like the, um, Okay Another one is to seek protection To say A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem Before we start reciting We say A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem It's not required but it's an important etiquette um, we also say Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Start reciting. You don't have to do it like, you know, do it at the beginning of the recitation. Of course, if you're reciting Surah Tawbah, there's no Bismillah in the beginning of Surah Tawbah, so you wouldn't do that. But I would have been Ashtarajim, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Recite. If you get to the beginning of a surah, then you can do the bismillah again, right? So maybe you're reading and you finish one surah, you get to another surah, you can do bismillah again, right? Another etiquette of reciting the Qur'an is to have humility and to ponder its meaning. I think that um, there's different ways that you could recite the Qur'an. Sometimes you're reciting the Qur'an to finish a certain amount, which is okay. There's a, there's a barakah in the Qur'an, there's a blessing in the Qur'an. You're reciting to finish, that's okay. But sometimes we should recite the Qur'an to reflect. Like I want to reflect upon it. I want to think about its meaning. And so, in that case, it's probably more useful for us to define what we're doing not by quantity, but by quantity of uh, reading, but quantity of time. So to say, for example, not I want to read one page, or I want to read five pages, or something like that. You say, I want to read for 30 minutes. For 30 minutes, you sit down and read. You might read one verse. And that's actually probably going to be good. Uh, if you spend that much time with one verse, two verses, three verses, four verses, they usually become part of your, they kind of become part of you. Because now you spend so much time with it that you're not going to forget it. You might think about it, you have some lessons from it, you have some reflections from it, you tie it to some things going on with you, you look up the meaning on some things, it becomes part of uh, what you're able to remember, inshallah. And to have humility with it, to ponder it. One of the most important etiquettes of the Qur'an is that we come to it wanting guidance, seeking guidance. I'm coming to you, like, this is your book, Allah. Please give me some guidance from this. Help me to understand this and um, open it for me so that I can comprehend. It can become part of who I am, so on. Ibrahim al-Khawas, he was one of the early righteous people. He said, there are five medicines for the heart. Five medicines for the heart. Ibrahim al-Khawas. 
Reciting the Quran with reflection. So this is the first one that's this topic, right? Reciting the Quran with reflection. Notice he specifically mentions with reflection. Reciting the Quran is a, is a medicine, of course. But to really think about it is a different kind of medicine. The second one is to uh, empty the stomach. Third one is to stand in night, stand in the night in prayer. Fourth is to supplicate in the last part of the night. And the fifth is sitting with righteous people. So these are the remedies for the heart. The remedies for the heart. Recite the Quran with reflection. Empty the stomach. Stand in the night in prayer. Pray in the last part of the night. Sit with the righteous people. Another etiquette of reciting the Quran is to cry. Just to cry. It's not going to happen if there's not any serious connection with the meaning, right? There has to be some level of connection with the meaning, and then maybe we can get ourselves to cry. It's important to recognize that um, getting ourselves to cry is an important spiritual practice. <laughs> if we're not accustomed to it, we kind of we should try it. We should try to do it, and. There's any number of ways that that can happen, but we, we think that many of us, uh, the American culture that I came from was a culture that didn't cry. I think it's changed at some level, but for me at least it was an American culture that didn't cry. And many of our kind of like Eastern cultures that, um, that we come from, they also don't really cry, you know? And uh, it's good to cry. At times that are appropriate and good. Like, you know, if you're crying over everything all the time to the point that it become dysfunctional, it's probably some looking into that that needs to happen. But there are many times in our lives where we should really cry. And, um, and the strongest people in all of history, they did this. You know, like Sayyidina Umar, he has a beautiful statement one time where he came upon, he came upon the Prophet and Abu Bakr and they were crying. And he said, uh, he said, what is it that causes you to cry so that I may also cry? And if it doesn't cause me to cry, I'll basically make myself cry. At the back end. Like I'll force myself to cry out of camaraderie. <laughs> you guys are crying, so I'm going to cry too. But tell me what it is because maybe it will touch my heart too. Right? And like there, there's an importance to this that the heart should be, uh, it should be touchable. It should be touchable. That uh, you know, uh, there's many things that are so beautiful. They're worth crying about. You know, they really are worth crying about. Another etiquette is to try to um, recite in a way that's clear, right? Like to give to recite with tajweed, essentially. And the the idea of tajweed is that you give every single letter its due. You give it its haq. You give every single letter its haq. Every single every single thing that you're pronouncing, you give it its due. So to recite with tajweed is to give every piece of it its due. Again, out of respect to the Quran. Uh, another etiquette is to make du'a while reciting. So especially in the uh, optional prayers, the Prophet wasallam used to do this, that if he's reciting the Qur'an in optional prayers, and he comes across a verse that has to do with the punishment of Allah, he seek protection from it. Uh, if he comes across a verse that has to do with reward, he'd make du'a for it. If he seek, so anything... So this is also a way to keep the heart alive and attentive in the recitation. So you're reciting and you come across, Ya Allah, protect us from that. Ya Allah, give us that. Ya Allah, you know, all of these things. It's good to do also. <coughs> it's good to recite in order. You don't have to, but it's good to recite in order. Uh, definitely within the surah, you should do it in order. 
But between the surahs, it's good to do it in order. You understand what I'm saying? So like, if you're reading Surah Al-Duha, don't jump to like, I don't know. <laughs> and then, you know, go to the beginning and don't move around inside the surah. Inside the surah, it's good to maintain order. Um, like wherever you start, go from there. And then, in between the surahs, it's good too. If you, especially if you're reciting to finish. You want to keep your order. It's good. Again, it's not just etiquette. It's good to recite from memory. Um, but it's actually better to recite from the Mus'haf. No, he says this. He says, reciting the Qur'an from the Mus'haf is better than reciting it from memory. Because it combines reciting with looking. So when you recite from the Mus'haf, not only are you reading the, reading the Qur'an, but you're also looking at the Qur'an. So there's an extra merit in that. In addition to just the recitation by itself. Um, but, you know. Uh, reciting to, in a group is, uh, he says, no, the group recitation is a recommended act, as is attending the circles of doing so. The Prophet ﷺ said, a group does not gather in one of the houses of Allah, most high, reciting the Quran and studying it together, except that tranquility descends upon them, mercy envelops them. The angels encompass them and Allah mentions them to those in his presence. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's good to do it together. Um, he says there's two good ways to read together. The first is for the whole group to read everything together. The second is for each of them to do a certain part. Mm. <clears throat> you may have seen this in, in Morocco, it's pretty common that they all recite together. Like after Salat, they'll have a portion. And everyone will recite it together. So every so often, everyone who attends Salat will finish reciting the entire Qur'an. Because it's like a custom that they have. Recite clearly with a voice that's loud enough so that people can hear and cover that. Beautifying one's voice. So in addition to reciting each piece properly and correctly, to try to recite as beautifully as possible is a good thing. <coughs> However, uh, do not recite. Do not be so concerned about reciting beautifully that you don't recite properly. And it's really, really important. I think most people have some sort of style of recitation that they've kind of settled into. It's very important that when you're first learning how to read Quran properly, that you kind of erase that. So if you're like, if you have a teacher and you're really learning how to read properly. Try to read in the most bland way that you can. <laughs> because otherwise your accustomed intonations that you're used to doing will actually make it so that you don't put the right emphasis and elongations and stuff like that. Um, and then after you've done it properly, then you can add in whatever intonations you want and stuff, as long as it doesn't break the rules. The rules have to be followed either way. The, the really good, like people like Abdul Basit and stuff like that, even when they're reading in these really, rahimahullah, uh, in these really, um, I don't know if performative is the right word, but they're reading in a way that, you know, is very beautiful and stuff. They're still following the rules. Proper elongation, proper, you know, uh, rules here. Some other reciters, they don't do that. So this is, this is why these people were like the most famous. Sheikh Abdul Basid, Sheikh Al-Usri, Sheikh Al-Manshawi. When they would read even in their Mujawid style, they still follow all the rules. So elongations would be correct. Ikhfa is there. Adgham, Ghunna, all of these things that need to be there, they're all there. It's good to seek uh, listening to beautiful recitation. It's good to seek listening to beautiful recitation. The more you listen to beautiful recitation, the better your recitation will be too. Because the ear has to become accustomed to hearing things in a particular way. And uh, it can't always pick it up right away. Especially in the beginning, you can't actually distinguish. Many times the teacher will say, like, read that again, it wasn't right. You don't even know what your mistake was because you, the ear doesn't hear it. Uh, but the Prophet ﷺ did this, right? He went to Ibn Mas'ud an, and he said, Iqra alayya al-Qur'an. And he said, alayka wa alayka unzil. You know, He said, read to me the Qur'an. He said, I'm going to read it to you. And it was revealed to you, Wasallam. And the Prophet ﷺ told him, that I like to hear it from other than me. I like to hear it from other than me. 
And so he recited until the Prophet started crying. So they would get together uh, and they would recite, they would listen to the recitation. Some people might have a more beautiful voice, so you listen to their recitation. It's, it's good, those are all good things. Another etiquette is that if the person is reading the Quran, they should not stop in the middle of a meaning. So it's hard to do if, if you don't understand the language, but sometimes it happens. That sometimes someone who, especially if they don't speak Arabic, they might stop in places that are not really appropriate to stop in. Uh, sometimes it can be not appropriate in the sense that it's just not good. You know, like it's the middle of a story and you just stopped in the middle of the story. Sometimes it's inappropriate to the extent that it might actually be like haram. Or if they're praying, it could invalidate the prayer. There's places where if you stop, it completely changes the meaning. So you know, one should just try to be careful with this. Of course, we shouldn't recite the Qur'an. Uh, like, you don't recite the Qur'an in, in Ruku'ah, in Sujood. You don't recite the Qur'an in Tashahud, the end of Salah, when you say, Tahiyyatu lillahi wa salawatu That's when you recite those things. You don't recite the Qur'an in those times. Um, we don't recite the Qur'an when we're in the restroom. We don't recite the Qur'an while the khatib is giving the khutbah. Right, these are all not good things to do. Um, mm. Should be careful It's interesting what he mentions here He says you should be careful of innovations Regarding reciting the Quran So he says for example One of the rejected innovations regarding the recitation of the Quran is what ignorant people do when in Taraweeh they recite Surah Al-An'am in the final rak'ah of the seventh night believing that it is recommended so basically the point here is that if we have some sort of if we're reciting something with, from the Quran with some sort of conviction that it has some sort of benefit there should be a reason for that like a sound reason for example there's sound hadith that the Prophet ﷺ encouraged people to read Surah Al-Mulk before going to sleep that there's a protection from the grave in that. And there's there's different merits for different surahs. Some of them are more clearly established, some of them are more doubtfully established, and some of them are just completely fabricated. So we should just be careful with this. Um, tamam, 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 tamam. If one is reciting while walking, and then comes across other people, it is recommended to interrupt the recitation, greet them, and then resume one's recitation. Hmm. Interesting, huh? Because when you meet people, they have a right over you. Imagine like if all the, like everyone was so pious, mashallah, that they're reciting Quran all the time. And you come to the majlis, everyone's reciting Quran. So nobody says salam to each other. There's no salam. I'm busy with the Quran, brother. I'm busy with the Quran. So it's like it's going to create problems. There's a social order to the existence of the Muslims. If you're reciting Quran to yourself and you're walking, that's great. But if someone comes, you say salam to them. And if they say salam to you, you respond to the salam. Yes, I have a question on that. Are you supposed to finish the ayah or just say, like, the ayah? He doesn't specify. But assumedly you shouldn't stop somewhere that's unacceptable to stop, but otherwise it's probably okay. You go back and continue. Is it okay if I have another question? Yeah. Oh, uh, you were saying before that don't recite Quran during Jummah. I know some people, like, they come in while the Khatib is speaking and they still pray. Is that correct or wrong? Yeah, so the issue of praying Tahiyyat uh, al-Masjid or the two of entering the Masjid when the Khatib is giving the Khutbah is not quite the same. So this would be like, what definitely shouldn't be done is someone is just sitting there and then they're reciting the Qur'an, right? Uh, same thing for dhikr, by the way. Sometimes you see people doing that. You see them making dhikr during the khutbah and stuff. It's not really... There's uh, some difference of opinion, but it's better that they don't do that. Uh, when it comes to praying the Turaqa, um I'm going to read this whole section because there's some interesting points here. There's a difference of opinion in the madhabs on whether or not 
you know, the person should pray two rakat before sitting down, even if the khatib is giving the khutbah. So, if they do it, it's okay. In the Hanafi school, you don't do it, you sit down. I think in the Shafi'i school, you do it. Anyone know? Shafi'is? Shafi'i school? Huh? Yeah, you do it, but like, and also, if you're going to do it, like, you're supposed to really do it on the side. Like, uh, you know, maybe you come in, you, you're in the back, you're on the side, you pray your tutorial, then you go sit down wherever you're going to sit down. The, don't, the worst thing people do, they, they want to get in the front, but they have to pray their tutorial. They come all the way up right in front of the khatib, Allahu Akbar, and they pray their tutorial. Like, do it on the side in the back, it's fun. Alright, look at some of the stuff he says here. If one recites while walking and then comes across the other people, it is recommended to interrupt the recitation, greet them, and then resume the recitation. If upon resuming, they say, that's good. If one were sitting and reciting and someone passes by, they should do the same also. If uh, It is obligatory for the reciter to reply to someone else's greeting. So when someone says salam to you, saying salam is recommended, right? Responding to salam is wajib. You have to respond to it. Um, SubhanAllah, there's so much wisdom in that, by the way. So many times you've met people who their feelings are really hurt because people, they come into community, they say salam, nobody responds to their salam. It really can hurt people. Uh, our, he says, our colleague Imam al-Wahidi said that it is best to refrain from greeting someone who is reciting and if, and if someone greets the reciter, it is sufficient for them to reply with a gesture. It's not the position that Imam al-Nawi is taking, but he's mentioning it. So, uh, if you see the person reciting, you don't necessarily have to say salam to them. Right? Is the point. If you say salam to them, then now they have to respond. <laughs> yeah. uh, if one sneezes while reciting, they should say alhamdulillah. And someone else, and if someone, if they hear someone sneeze and say alhamdulillah, then they should say alhamdulillah, even if they're reciting. Uh, if a reciter hears someone making the adhan or the iqamah, they should stop their recitation. Mm-hmm. If something is requested from a person reciting the Qur'an and it is possible for him to respond to the petitioner by way of a known gesture, uh, then they could do that. But it is permissible for the reciter to interrupt the recitation and help them. Like they recite, they can finish it and they can go help the person. If someone of superior knowledge, righteousness, nobility, old age, or prestige through social status, parentage, or some other factor, passes by someone who is reciting, there is no harm in the reciter standing out of respect and deference to greet them. I know we will mention this a lot. This idea that, you know, someone of of status walks by and you stand up to greet them, that's good. Um, Inshallah, it's okay. There's no harm in joining surahs in a prayer, like to read more than one surah. Read duha, read sharh, and others. He says it's recommended for every reciter while doing, d- during the prayers or others to say Amin when finishing Fatiha. So you say Amin when finishing Fatiha. Of course, there's a well-known difference of opinion on how you say Amin uh, when you finish the Fatiha. Um, you know, based on your madhab, do whatever your madhab says. If you think that you're following the Quran or the Sunnah, you're not. You're following the madhab of whoever told you the meaning of that verse from the Quran or the Sunnah. <laughs> so you're better off finding an actually well established madhab. Yes, that's a can of worms, but we've talked about it before. Um, certain times, and of course, we should prostrate. Make sujood. There's certain places in the Quran you read them, you make sujood, right? Um, you'd have wudu in order to do that. It's a sajda like any other sajda. I have a question. Yes. Actually, about uh, reciting without wudu. Are you allowed to recite without having wudu or listen? Yes. Okay. Yeah, you can recite or listen without wudu. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, yeah. If you need to make ghusl, that's different. So not having wudu and being in a state where you need to make ghusl are two different things. Uh, yes, honey. So, 
You have to have wudu to make the sajda, yes. Well, only in the Hanafi school is the sajda required. So, technically, like most of the other madhabs, if you come across sujood, uh, sujood tilawa, you don't have to make sujood tilawa. It's recommended. You, some people say you can say subhanallah, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, a couple times. In the Hanafi school, it's required, it's wajib. If you read, a, if you read or you hear being read, Sujood Tilawa, then uh, you have to make sajda. But it doesn't necessarily, uh, it doesn't have to be immediate. So you could be reciting without wudu, like in the car. Maybe you're in the car, you're driving, you don't have wudu, and you don't have a way to make it, and you want to review something, so you re- you're reviewing it in your head, and you come across a verse where you have to make sujood in your Hanafi, then when you get out, you make wudu, you make your sujood. Yes, sure. So you said if there's certain periods where you are not allowed to recite Quran. So for example, a woman, like if it's her time of the month, an entire week, she's not allowed to recite Quran. Like she can't even say like ayahs on the Quran. According to the majority position, yes. There is uh, in the Maliki school, if she's like a student of the Quran and what, how you define the student of the Quran is the question. Then she can recite um, And then outside of the four madhabs There's some opinions that allow it you know? So, so like even a that's minor, the brief answer Even a minor like recitation Like say she's making a dua Before driving in the car Like she shouldn't do that If it's a dua Then she can read it with the intention of dua It's okay So like there's duas from the Quran Whatever it is Whatever dua it might be. Any dua that is if they just would do it with the intention of dua. Does it also apply to listening? Technically, in the madhabs, no. So there's multiple issues, right? There's the issue of reciting, there's the issue of touching the mushaf, right? So, uh, as far as I know, in the, f- in the four madhabs, she cannot even recite. And that's except in the Maliki position, as far as I recall. I could be mistaken, but that's as far as I recall. I know it's not a comfortable thing. You think? I'm like saying it and everyone's mad at me. I'm just telling you what it says. <laughs> I'm just a napkin. I'm just transmitting. Okay. Um, so, and then touching it is like, definitely in the four madhabs. You can't touch without wudu. You can't touch in a state of janaba or a state of that time of the month or whatever else it might be. Again, outside of the four madhabs, there are other positions. So sometimes you hear those in, in, in the fatwa that people give. Sometimes people give fatwa, allowing it, you know, with different, at varying levels. Um, so. so when we're talking about the etiquette, the more we follow, the more we give the most pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, so you still get pleasure if you, if you don't do all of them, but it's better if you follow all of them. For so etiquettes, yes. Less. For etiquettes, yes. But on this issue, this is not an etiquette. Right? This is a... Uh, if, again, if we're just saying the position, like the position of the Hanafi school is the woman who's at her time of the month, she can't recite. Unless she's saying a, a, like a, a verse for dua or something. So it's not an etiquette, it's an actual hukum. Yeah. Uh, so again, you know, the, there's, there's what the madhabs say, and then there's some other positions outside the madhabs. You'll get different fatwas on it. Um, you know, but just positions there. Yes, and. Um, would you, the poems that you say, and like for sleeping though, you can count that as du'a? You could count it as du'a and say it. Yeah. The, like the verses you say at night, you could count it as du'a and say it.
this is the first time I've ever heard this, and even like in Islamic schools, mm-hmm. I know there are different thoughts, but they would even teach Quran during that time, and all they would say is like, you can't touch the Muslim. Like, here's a yeah. copy. That's yeah. what they would give us. So usually what happens, uh, so you have different approaches, right? Generally speaking, you have kind of like two approaches. You have the madhabi approach, and you have the not-so-madhabi approach. The not-so-madhabi approach, in any ways, they already give the fatwa, usually, that it doesn't apply. That you can recite when you're on your, on your that time of the month. They even give the fatwa, you can touch the Qur'an. Um, so for them, it's not an issue. And I think that a lot of the Islamic schools and stuff were kind of like that approach. If you're on the if you're on more of like the madhhabi approach, usually what will happen is the non Malikis will say this is an issue where we should follow the Malikis and they'll just roll with that. <laughs> so if you're a student if you're a student of Quran you can still recite. So you're still okay. So they would that's how they would get out of it. Um, and the madhhabs do that, by the way. There are issues like even in even in one's madhhab where they'll say, Okay, in this issue we we follow the other method because it's too difficult for people or because whatever, whatever, whatever. So you can do that. It's not. Alhamdulillah, the, the religion has different opinions and stuff. We don't have one opinion. So, yes? So do the madhabs, given that scenario, do they have any recommended action for women to partake in lieu of not attending the Quran, not being able to touch the Muslims? Yeah, I mean, they would make dhikr, they would make dua, yeah, do anything else. Yeah. I mean, if we're honest, I think a lot of people don't recite the Qur'an regularly anyways. <laughs> For to be honest, right? <laughs> so... I like the Ramadan. That was like when we always taught. like, you can't fast, but read Qur'an. Yeah. Yeah. Make the good, make du'a. Read Qur'an. Again, like, a question does come up here of like, what, what makes someone a student of the Qur'an such that they have the exception? So if you have some sort of relationship with the Qur'an, most likely if someone has any sort of regular relationship with the Qur'an, they're going to fall into that category of being considered a student of the Qur'an, in which case they can take the Maliki position, and they can recite. And you can touch a Mus'haf that like, just get a, even I usually carry around with me a, a, the Mus'haf that has tafsir in it. Because then like a quarter of the page is the Qur'an and three quarters is Mus'haf, you don't have to have wudu to carry it and touch it and all those other things, because it's not mostly Qur'an. So you can pick up a mushaf like that and read it if you're a Maliki and you're a student. If you're not reciting regularly anyways, then you're not a student. You just make dhikr, make dua, whatever. And in a week, become a student, inshallah, and you don't have this issue anymore. <laughs> That's what I would do. <laughs> Someone else had their hand up. Uh, yes. Is there any, can you repeat the last part, the detail? Is there any known reward that women get reward. for refraining from the Mm-hmm. That's a good question, mashallah. Uh, on the first part of the question... Could you repeat the question? Yeah, the first part of the question was along the lines of... Um, basically, like, when, when these positions were come to in the madhabs, Essentially, does like the access that we have to it on phones, on recordings, and all these kind of things change it in any way? Essentially, is that kind of? Um, I don't think that it does because they're talking about two issues. One of them is reciting out loud, either from memory or however, and the second is touching the musaf. So I don't think that it would really affect that. The evidences are the evidences, and the practices were the practices, and. It, listening to it is fine anyways Right So It's t- Issues of question, Questions of touching It would be Kind of similar um, I, I don't mean to interrupt But I read that Every Friday On my phone Right So 
that and then that arguably prevents you from protection from the jaw later on if mm. you Yeah, so I would say like if someone is accustomed to reading Surah Al-Kaf every week on their phone, then they're a student of Surah Al-Kaf and they should just they can read Surah Al-Kaf. Maybe if you can get some the phone I don't know like sometimes the phone apps there's ways where you can move it without touching it but it's still like an image there's a difference of opinion on the image of whether or not it holds the same ruler so yeah, it's okay inshallah um, but in general like if there's something that we would have done but we're not doing it because of some rule that we're following we should believe that Allah will take care of it like whatever reward that we were going to get we're still going to get whatever protection we were going to get we're still going to get all of those kind of things um, the second half the second question was what again before I go to the, the reward yeah uh, I don't know of any like particular laid out text on it but generally speaking you know again if we're prevented from like for example it's not exactly the same but for example if someone is used to doing something and they can't do it because they get sick they get the reward of everything they would have done so whatever reward is established, you know. I ask because the uh, decision is so clear that you cannot, but the reward is very unclear. Yeah. So I choose to believe for myself that the reward is far greater than I can imagine. But I also see and have experienced sisters be very disheartened. And, you know, I appreciate, like, I, I will continue to read Surah Kaab no matter what. Um, but for someone who just remembered randomly one month, hey, I'm going to do it. Oh, I can't. There's just, like, implications. I yeah. Right yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it's, it's great that we can have this conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. Yeah, I think um, Ustada Shazia wrote an article on this one time, I think. You might be able to find it online, Shazia Ahmed, on like the issue of Quran and not being able to pray and like what to do and how to. I think she wrote it. She's really good, by the way. If you guys follow her on Instagram. Shazia Ahmed, Ustada Shazia Ahmed. She's really good, mashallah. She has a lot of really good stuff. She's very, very thoughtful. And she's very gifted with words, mashallah. And her and her husband, Sheikh Arsalan, are uh, really beautiful people, mashallah. I've known them for a long time. Yes, Shu. Uh, I just wanted to. I am not in any way super educated on this matter. So I wanted to ask you about this topic it's fine. for so long. You should be able to talk about it. It's okay. I, I think um, when Islam came, a lot of very cultural ideas from other religions came along with this specific topic, specifically Hinduism. In Hinduism, there is a lot of um, ideas that a woman who's on her period is unclean and many of these things. And Islam actually doesn't say to that extent of this uncleanliness or almost unholiness of a woman during mm-hmm. that time. We mm-hmm. celebrate women who are, it's, it's what God has created, it's mm-hmm. divine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of those cultural aspects came with the culture that comes with um, our Islamic understanding. And I think it's very important, again, like I said, I don't have much knowledge on this, but from what I have read and what I have understood, I think it's very important, especially for women to read up on what exactly it means to be during the time of the month and how that those implications are as opposed to I think other understandings and beliefs. Yeah. A lot of women will think that maybe they're just like not worthy in so many senses, which is not something that Islam ever has said. Right. And so yes, we have respect when it comes to Quran and stuff, but it doesn't mean that you yourself are something that should be taken away from Islam in any aspect because that's not Like have access to those things during the time, but frame it in the sense of like this is an amma, like 
uh, appreciate it, but celebrate it, things like right, that. Right, right. It's, it's part of the human condition. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's not like, yeah, it's true that there's a lot of other religions and uh, cultures that have a lot of like negativity around this topic. We do have some rulings around it, right? Like there's there's some clear rulings, but they're not associated with like, oh, you're bad or you're less or you're anything like that at this time of the month type thing. Um, you know. I mean, I'm But they have control over it, and it's like it can, it can, it's not something that's gonna like last, right, outside of your control. I mean, something I've told like my mom sometimes when they ask me, because I'll be like, oh, we pray five times a day, and they're like, five times a day, I was like, yeah, but you know, during like women's time of the month, like prayer is not obligatory, and they're like, why? And I was like, oh, because, you know, God is is making it easier on women, and it's like a mercy that he gives, and it's something that, usually when I say that, they, they, they see it, they're like, oh, like, like your your religion even thinks about that, like those little things, and it's like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because during that time, like it's I do like all these things and it hurts and this and that, you know. So that is one framework that you could like. like you're not religious impure, right? It's like you mentioned it's your physical body, there's no control over it. I'm not religious impure, right? Connection to a lot is not less. I've read that completely. Yeah, though, right? Oh. translated as like impure. Yeah, so I agree with you. It's a very hard sell. Yeah, not everything's an easy stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the way I feel. I mean, I, I, I don't, um, not everything is an easy sell, but I feel that a lot of things, if we, if we own it and we think about it and we try to uh, find some wisdoms for ourselves and stuff that really resonates with us, then we can share it with other people from a place of authenticity. And if they accept it, they accept it. If they don't, they don't. I mean, I've definitely had times in my life where I wished I had a week off of praying the month. You know, like where I just don't have to pray this week. I feel like, man, that's great. I don't have to pray this week. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but, but it's, uh, I, I mean, I understand. I don't want to, like, obviously I'm not experiencing it, so it's a little bit different. I, mean, I, I don't want to say too much about it, but I think that, um, we frame it like prayer is an obligation and there's certain times when it's not an obligation on women alhamdulillah so you don't have to do it and we can connect to Allah in many different ways and many ways to talk to him and to know him and to worship him and to seek him and but you can experience the same thing you're in a state of impurity you can't pray yeah but like I said you you control that in a sense right so like when when men are in a state of impurity that makes it so that they can't pray or touch Quran or read Quran or anything like that you may ghusl and it's it's gone you don't have to like wait five days for the time for ghusl to come and then you know this type of thing so it's a little bit different but in any case alhamdulillah I'm sure I would imagine over dinner you all can figure out good answers to this inshallah <laughs> That's why we have dinner, by the way, is so that we can talk about these things. We can come up with answers for them and think about ways that make sense for us and how we frame it and how we think about it and all of that. That's good. It's good to have these conversations. Yes. Yeah. There is. In the Shafi'i school, you have to recite Surah Al-Fatiha. So, if you're in an out loud prayer, you don't recite it while the Imam is reciting. After everyone says Amin, you recite it then. Before they do the next surah. Before the next surah, you do it really fast. But that's why they do it. 
in the Shafi'i school, you have to recite Fatiha for the prayer to be valid, even if you're behind the Imam who's reading out loud. So that's why people do it. But they should try to do it in a way that's not distracting to everyone else. Yes? questions are all kind of different um the first one is um like before reciting before saying Bismillahirrahmanirrahim are you required to say or is there any etiquette uh related with saying like basically that that and especially during prayer is there any etiquette about using that like before you start reciting uh surah in, in prayer mm-hmm. um the second um, um, quickly just really quickly the short is, uh, it's recommended, it's not required, both inside and outside. Um, the second one is related to um, the cor- correction. So you had mentioned, like, if there's, if you're reciting the Quran and, and like, you, you're not, res- like, let's say you're praying with someone that doesn't necessarily know that they're not reciting, like, a surah correctly, and you know the surah, are you supposed to correct them during prayer? Like, especially if you're, like, like as a female, like you're not leading the prayer, are you supposed to correct like other people during yeah. the prayer? Yeah. Like if they, if they say the wrong word, like you know, if they're, if they're using a different word or if they're missing a verse or something. Yeah, generally for women, if they're correcting, then they they slap their hand. If they're, but not, they're not supposed to recite what the correction right. is. Yeah. Even for men, though, by the way, like people overcorrect. Like if it's not changing the meaning, if it's not some sort of big mistake, it's really not necessary to correct. Um, so they're missing a verse though, if they're missing a verse or it's a, if they're using the wrong word that's not necessarily changing. I mean, I could or could not change the meaning, like, you know what I mean? Just, 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 uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then my Unless it's your family, I think there's a difference of opinion on that. If it's like, say, a wife praying with her husband, I recall finding it somewhere, I should go find it again, but... Uh, that she can actually say it out loud. And then I guess the third question I had was in prayer, like the first two rakahs, you're supposed to recite like a second surah, and or at least is what I think. First you're supposed to recite if you're praying for what I said or Aisha, and then the second two you're only supposed to recite surah 